Hi, welcome to today's broadcast, Student of the Word. Today we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to go to a parable of the Good Samaritan and explain that today about the power of the new birth and the power of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. You're going to be blessed today. Let's go to the Word of God together. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Bob Yandian. Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandy, and welcome again to Student of the Word. And we're going to begin a one-week study on the Holy Spirit. I've taught this before, but I feel like it's so important to bring it back now because there is revival breaking out across our country in different parts of our country. And probably, I think, one of the greatest hindrances in revival right now is just a lack of understanding about the importance of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want to talk about that this week. So I'll be telling some things that I've said before, teaching on some things I've said before. But you know what? About the time you think, I've heard all this before, that's when you really you need to realize, I need to hear this again. If I really got it the first time and the revelation came, I'd be shouting to hear it again. And I don't think we could ever run out of things to say about the importance of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who really makes our dispensation important. There was a minimum Holy Spirit uh, usage in the Old Testament and uh, the Holy Spirit's manifestation, but there's the increase. In fact, the fullness of the Spirit has come in the church age, and that was displayed on the day of Pentecost for the church. And our example is the Lord Jesus Christ, looking at him and how he worked in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. He left that for us and Jesus anointed his disciples to do things they could never do before. And I remember when they came back rejoicing, they could cast out devils. They were so excited. You know why they were excited? It never happened in the Old Testament. No one had that authority, not even prophets and priests, to cast out a devil. That just was not known to have authority over the devil. And Jesus came anointed by God with that power from the time he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon him. In the River Jordan, he started doing that, casting out devils and taking authority over Satan's works, and then gave that to those 70 that followed him and then gave it to us on the day of Pentecost. So again, we're gonna talk about the importance of the Holy Spirit. It seemed like to me the real core of revival is the Holy Spirit, to know him, to uh, you know understand him, because he is the real reason why we have revival. Revival begins with a turning to or a returning to the Holy Spirit. Revival begins to wane when we turn from the Holy Spirit. We become embarrassed of the Holy Spirit, the, the fact that people speak with tongues. We don't want to even bring that up today, and yet it's throughout the Word of God. Jesus gave the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost said, this is for you, your children, your children's children, and as many as the Lord our God shall call. So it's still here today. And every time revival breaks out, there's always this massive move of healings and divine power of God and speaking with tongues. We'll talk about that, the, the reason why we speak with tongues, the power of tongues. And we'll just lay it out so simply, there's no way you cannot receive it or understand it. In Luke chapter 10, let's start there because this is a real, a real story. The Good Samaritan is what I wanna to go to. I always begin with this when I talk about the Holy Spirit because we just have read this and we've assumed this is what it means and it's not what it means. It's, there's a difference here, we have to really break it down. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 10. 
Let's begin at verse 25. And while you're finding that, the book that I'm offering on the broadcast today is Life and Power. This is the new birth and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And every major thing from the Holy Spirit comes from one of these two. It either comes from the Holy Spirit in the new birth or the Holy Spirit at the infilling. So they'll come on at halftime and tell you how you can have a copy of it for yourself. In Luke chapter 10, here we have in verse 25 through 37, it says, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him. This is a testing question, as only a lawyer could do, asking, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Isn't that an interesting question? I think Jesus could have just blasted him. There's nothing you can do to inherit. You're either an heir or not. Heirs don't have to do anything. They just receive their inheritance. And so Jesus could have said that, but again, the man was asking a question, expecting a different answer. And I love what Jesus said. He said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? You answer your question. And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself probably pretty proud of himself because this is true. This is where the word of God revolves around. All the law revolves around this one verse of scripture. And we're told two or three times in the New Testament that the law is fulfilled if you just love your neighbor as yourself. In verse 28, Jesus said to him, you've answered right. Do this and you shall live. But he willing to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In other words, if I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself to inherit eternal life, tell me who my neighbor is. And Jesus answered, and listen to this answer. Jesus just immediately went into a parable. And Jesus answered, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his raiment, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him. And in the morning when he left, he took out two pennies and gave them to the host and said, take care of him and whatever you spend more, when I come again, I'll repay you. Which now of these three? do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, the one that showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. You say, did Jesus didn't even ask the question? The question was, who is my neighbor I'm supposed to love? And Jesus told a story. But I want you to notice something. We often think, that the neighbor is the one in the road and we're the ones that's supposed to help them. But listen, this is not how you have eternal life. Remember that the question was, how do I inherit eternal life? And so Jesus gave this parable and says at the end of it, which one of the three was the neighbor to him that fell in the road? Was it the uh, law? Was it the priest? Was it the Levite or was it the third one, the Good Samaritan? He said the one that did mercy on him, found mercy on him. He's saying that it's the Good Samaritan. If the way to salvation is we're supposed to love the Good Samaritan, then we've got this whole thing mixed up. We keep thinking we're the Good Samaritan. We're supposed to go take care of people in the road. And listen, that's a good application of this particular parable, but it's not the interpretation. The application of this parable, let's go back and take another look at it for just a moment. And I want you to see something here. Jesus said, he answered in verse 30, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Notice this, it is down. Jerusalem's in the mountains, Jericho's down by the Dead Sea. And he said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. That man was Adam. 
We're talking here about the fall of man. If we're going to talk about salvation, we need to acquaint the fact that we are fallen first. This is part of the whole process of the new birth, understanding you're a sinner and you need a savior. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. Who is the thief and who is the thieves? It's Satan and it's demons that surround him. He fell among thieves and Satan is the one who tempted Adam and Eve in the garden and took advantage of them. And notice three things they did. First of all, they stripped him of his raiment, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. This is the threefold curse that came upon him. Poverty, sickness, and the third one, which is the the big one, eternal uh, death poverty, sickness, and spiritual death. And so they stripped him of his raiment, took all his clothes off of him. And next of all, they wounded him, wounding him throughout the word of God as a type of sickness. And we're even said that by his stripes, by his wounds, we are healed. But the third part left, left him half dead. I want you to know the key here. Again, first of all, poverty, that's part of the curse that Jesus died for, and he'll bring us out of poverty. But again, you have to have the right motive from the word of God, not just the fact you want money, but to understand the purpose of money and the fact that it's part of redemption, that we can get it back and use it for redeeming other people. Next of all, he wounded him. Jesus told the crowds that by his stripes, he was healed. He said, I'm come to heal. And he healed according to what Isaiah prophesied himself, took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. On the cross, he died not only for our salvation, but also for healing. But again, poverty, healing, these are temporary for while we're here, but they all lead up to one thing, by healing, we often have people that didn't give their life to Jesus Christ because you can't do either one of them, a temporary miracle or a temporary healing, but also you can't save yourself. But if God can heal you, then apparently he can also deliver you and give you eternal life. But notice again, they departed leaving him half dead. Isn't that an interesting phrase to use? In when Adam uh, committed the sin in the garden. He died spiritually, but he was still alive physically. You know what a sinner is today? They're a half dead person. They're physically alive, but they're spiritually dead on the inside. And God wants to come and give them eternal life. So he was left in the road, verse 31. And by chance there came down a certain priest. The priest is the law. And notice what it says. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. The law could not help us. It could observe us. It can say things to us. It can tell it's all our fault, but we got to come out of this thing. And we no more got into this thing because uh, we died. It's Adam that died and passed it on to us. And now we have uh, the need to receive eternal life. And so when we do, again, then we receive eternal life. But again, notice this, the priest couldn't help. So the next of all, the Levite couldn't help. Both of them are types of the law that operated with the law itself or else with the sacrifices. And notice this, and when he was at the place and came and looked on him, he passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, I think you've already figured out who the good Samaritan is, that we need to love to have eternal life. Notice this, he was a Samaritan. Why is it Samaritan so important? Half Jew, half Gentile. A type of Jesus Christ coming into this world, the God-man. He's a combination of both. He is 100% God, 100% man, the unique person of the universe, and a certain Samaritan. Oh, that had to grind against those Jews that were listening because they didn't like Samaritans. And here Jesus is using it as a type of himself. Now, they can't pick this up yet. But again, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him. Notice this, the priest and the Levite passed by on the other side. But Jesus Christ coming 
to us, went to us and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Oil and wine are symbols of the Holy Spirit. The first thing Jesus did for us whenever we received him as Savior, he poured in the oil of the new birth. And next of all comes the wine of the infilling of the Holy Spirit, of which Peter pointed out on that day, these men are not drunk as you suppose. All these men are drunk on new wine. He said, no, no. He said, they're not drunk as you suppose. He said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. I'll pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And wine is a type of that, such as oil is a type of the new birth. And then set him on his own animal. Here we have a third emblem of the Holy Spirit. Oil, wine, now he put him on his own animal. The one that carries us, the one that brings us, the one, and notice where he's gonna bring us to. He set him on his own animal. This pack animal was a symbol of the Holy Spirit and brought him to an end. The end is the church. And he brings us to this church and notice what happened is he's also the innkeeper and took care of him. And in the morning he left. The one that left is the good Samaritan. Jesus could not stick around, but once he put us uh, in line there to receive the Holy Spirit, he went up to heaven and it says he left and he took out two pennies, key, two pennies. A pence in the word of God or a penny is a day's wage. And he took out two pennies and gave them to the host who is the Holy Spirit. Spirit and said to him, take care of him. And whenever you, whatever you spend more, when I come again, Jesus is coming back. I will repay you. Notice what he gave him, two pence. How long is Jesus going to be gone? A day with the Lord is as a thousand years. A thousand years is as a day. What he's simply saying was with two pennies, it represents he's going to be gone for two days or probably around 2,000 years. No definite time is set here, but we're coming to the end of that time and Jesus Christ will be coming back. I'll see you right after the break. The Holy Spirit has always been with man, but only in a limited ministry before Pentecost. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit lived in a temple made with hands and came on individuals at certain times to do a certain task. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, the veil of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom, not just to let us in, but to let the Holy Spirit out. From that day until this, the Holy Spirit desires to live in every person who will be born again. In Life and Power, Bobby Endian carefully examines the Holy Spirit's ever-present role in our daily life, the types and shadows that explain His ministry, and how the world was changed when He came into the upper room, filling New Testament believers with boldness and power. Life and Power is available in book form as audio CDs or downloads, video DVDs, or as both audio and video on a USB flash drive. To order Life and Power, visit bobbyandian.com slash lifeandpower. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. The Father is not the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. But they are all God, three in one, the Holy Trinity. Each member of the Trinity does different things in relationship with the believer and with each other. This relationship has been confusing to many Christians and is totally beyond understanding to the world. But it is easy to comprehend once it is perceived in the Scriptures. 
This insightful Bible teaching will impart a deeper understanding of the attributes and purposes of the members of the Trinity, as well as the believer's responsibility and relationship with each individual member of the Godhead. Join Pastor Bob Yandian for these simple lessons on the Trinity, Three Yet One, and Our Relationship with the Trinity. To order Understanding the Trinity, visit bobyandian.com. Very quickly, let's go back and take a look, beginning in verse 35 again. In the morning when he left, that's the Good Samaritan, after he put him on his own animal, the old an- his animal brought them to an inn. The inn is a type of the church, and the innkeeper is the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit scattered through this whole thing. He's the oil, he's the wine, he's the animal, he's the host. He's the one that took care of us. He's the one that uh, is there as the innkeeper. Notice again, he says that in verse 35, in the morning when he left, that is the Good Samaritan, he took out two people pennies. A penny is a day's wage. So he's simply saying, I'm going to be gone for two days and gave them to the host. Again, the host is the Holy Spirit watching over the innkeeper and said, then take care of him. Boy, Jesus said, when I'm gone, I'm going to turn you over to a Holy Spirit. I'm going to turn you over to one who's just like me. Take care of him and whatever you spend more, when I come again, Jesus is coming back. And how long will he be gone? About 2,000 years. I will repay you. Which now of these three, that is the priest, the Levite, or the good Samaritan, do you think was the true neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? He said, well, he who showed mercy on him, Jesus said, go and do likewise. You want eternal life? Let the good Samaritan take care of you. Let the one take care of you and put you in the church coming as soon as I'm gone. Oil and wine represent the two main ministries of the Holy Spirit. Oil is the new birth and wine is the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Notice which came first, oil came before wine. And so the new birth comes before the infilling or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The increased ministry of the Holy Spirit is a major difference between the Old and New Testament, the age of Israel and the age of the church. Old Testament saints were anointed at times for certain jobs, but you had to have a position for the prophet, the priest, or the king. The main people that made up the nation of Israel could not operate in these gifts, and so they had to go to those. If they needed a prophetic uh, word, they went to the prophet. If they needed to have their sins removed, they went to the priest. And at times, they could even go to the king, but they operated in these particular gifts by the Holy Spirit, and you had to go to find the right person. Aren't you glad today you don't have to find a priest to confess your sins to? Why, we are priests ourselves, and we can go straight to our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to sit in that little booth, one on each side, and have a curtain between us. No, we don't have to do that because the curtain, the veil's been removed. I can go directly to my great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, and in 1 John 1, 9, just confess my sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins. I'm glad we have prophets around and things like that, but you know what? In the New Testament, we also can operate in these gifts. The Old Testament saints were anointed at times for certain jobs. Elijah's a good example. Samson's a good example. Elijah couldn't outrun Ahab's chariot every day. It's when the Holy Spirit came upon him. Samson could not pick up the entire front gates of the city, pull them out of the ground, and carry them up a hill any day of the week. No, he had to have the Holy Spirit anoint him at the head. Another name for this supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, which was found in the Old Testament, was the hand of the Lord. 
The hand of the Lord came on Samson in Judges 14.6 and other passages in Judges. On Elijah in 1 Kings 18.46. Elisha, 2 Kings 3.15. Ezra in chapter 7 and verse 28 of the book of Ezra. So again, we have these different ministers of the Old Testament and the hand of the Lord came upon them. And this is why Old Testament saints at death went to an underground compartment called paradise because they didn't have the Holy Spirit living in them. And so even though the prophet, the priest, and the king, they had to go there also because they didn't have the Holy Spirit living in them. He would come on them at certain times. But I'm telling you, when you get born again, the Holy Spirit, first of all, comes to live in you. He moved out of the temple. He moved out of the tabernacle. He'd been in the Old Testament at different times, twice in the tabernacle, twice in the temple. And when Jesus Christ arose from the dead, the Holy Spirit came out of that temple. And on the day of Pentecost moved into us, we are today the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is why Old Testament saints again went to an underground compartment called paradise. They were waiting for the firstborn, Jesus Christ, to come out of the grave. And then they became the second, third, fourth, fifth born all the way down. And they got to go to heaven with him at his resurrection and ascension into heaven. He led captivity captive into heaven, the Old Testament saints, and the compartment they were in called paradise is empty. And today paradise has now been transferred to heaven. Paul got to go there and said, I went into the third heaven into paradise. In the New Testament, the church age, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us at the moment of salvation. This was unknown in the Old Testament. Him living inside of a person and calling them the temple of God. No, he recreates our spirit today and then comes to live in our spirit. And the moment he moved into thus us on the day of Pentecost and moved into the 120 that were up there, I'm here to tell you, he breathed a sigh of relief. I am at home, no longer a temple made with hands. I am now in the temple that's been made by God himself and he lives inside of us and he will always live inside of us. He will no longer live in that temple. For New Testament, there is an experience and a gift after salvation called the baptism or the infilling of the Holy Spirit, which they didn't have back there in that time. And it's, it, it occurred on the day of Pentecost, the day that the church began. And this was the wine of the Holy Spirit. Again, Peter said on that day, this is not the wine you're thinking of. He said, this is the wine of the Holy Spirit and referred back to the Old Testament prophecy. It'll come to pass in the last days, Joel said. It'll come to pass in the last days, I'll pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Ooh, that didn't happen in the Old Testament. Sons and daughters and girls and young people, your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. And he said, in that day, I'll pour to my spirit upon all flesh. It occurred on the day of Pentecost, it's been growing ever since. And like I said before, whenever people depart from the Holy Spirit, revival goes away. When people have a hunger in their heart to return to the Holy Spirit, revival breaks out. And we are seeing that today across our country. With all the things going wrong with our country, there's something happening. God is at work. Young people across the nation and college campuses and in different places are turning back to the Holy Spirit, returning back to the Lord, and we're seeing a great revival. I honestly think this will be the greatest revival not only has the United States ever seen, but the world has ever seen. This is the one that will be here, then will be taken up at the rapture of the church, but the revival will still keep on going, and more and more people will be saved, and the tribulation will be the greatest time of evangelism the world has ever seen. The Holy Spirit 
at salvation and the infilling. Let's talk about the difference between the two. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, it says, For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we are Jews or Gentiles, whether we are bond or free. At the new birth, the Holy Spirit literally baptizes you into the body of Christ and you become a member of the church. The Holy Spirit is the baptizer and Jesus is the element we're baptized into. Next of all, we could be filled with the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter three and verse 11, John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you with or in water. The word with in the King James could be better translated in, I indeed baptize you, plunge you into water, for repentance, but he that comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to latch. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. At the new birth, you are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. And at the infilling of the Holy Spirit, you are baptized by Christ into the Holy Spirit. At the infilling, the baptism of the Spirit, Jesus baptizes you into the Holy Spirit. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. That's what John the Baptist said. Jesus is the baptizer. The Holy Spirit is the element of baptism. You must be born again to be filled. Notice this, the oil came before the wine. Once you're born again, you now become a candidate to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Matthew chapter nine and verse 17, here Jesus is speaking and says, neither do men put new wine into old wineskins because the wineskin will break. That's the acid in the wine and the wine will run out and the wineskins will perish, but they put new wine and naos is the Greek word. They put brand new wine into kainos, renewed wineskins, and both are preserved. He said, you have a wineskin that's dried and parched. You don't put new wine into that. It'll burst through it. But he can't says you can renew a wineskin. How do you renew a wineskin? You rub it with oil. That's the way they did it throughout centuries. They rub it with oil, get it soft again to where it'll handle the wine, and then they pour the wine into it, and it doesn't burst through it. You see, I'm an old wineskin. I died in Adam, but all of a sudden, I became a brand new renewed wineskin. God took me and renewed me by the Holy Spirit, by the oil of the new birth. And then later I can be filled with the Holy Spirit, but the oil has to come before the wine. That's exactly how it was done with the Good Samaritan. God has to put his Holy Spirit into new creations. Wine skins again are renewed by rubbing oil onto the old parched wineskin. Jesus and the Holy Spirit, Jesus is God's gift to the world. The Holy Spirit and his full ministry are God's gift to his children. Once you become a child of God, now you're eligible for the other gifts that God has to give. But Jesus Christ himself is God's gift to the world. And the Holy Spirit and his full ministry are God's gift to his children. In John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, it says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. He's simply saying here that again, the Holy Spirit, he says the world can't receive because it sees him not, neither knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and shall be in you. Notice this, when you get born again, the Holy Spirit dwells with you. And then when you get born again, he comes to live inside of you. Speaking to his disciples, he said, right now he's with you, but there's coming a day he's gonna move inside of you. I'm sure they scratched their head and said, wait a minute, isn't he over here in the temple? No, he's gonna come to live inside of you. The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. They can receive Christ and the Holy Spirit can receive be received by God's children 
only. Once you're born again, then you can receive the Holy Spirit. Once you receive the oil, you're eligible for the wine. And this is why in such passages as Acts chapter 8, when the revival broke out at Samaria, that they sent, after they had been born again, received the word of God, they sent them, Peter and John, who came and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Notice the wine comes after the oil. In chapter 19 of Acts, when Paul came to the upper coast of Ephesus, he found certain Ephesians who had been born again, but they hadn't been filled with the Holy Spirit. He noticed something was missing. Oh yeah, they knew Jesus. Yeah, they'd been born again, but there was a power missing in them. There were revelations missing in them. He said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? In other words, have you received the wine since you received the oil? They said, we have not heard of whether or not there be any uh, Holy Spirit. We haven't heard about this wine you're talking about. And Paul laid his hands on them. They received the Holy Spirit. They spoke with tongues. And throughout the book of Acts, whenever they received the Holy Spirit after the new birth, they spoke with tongues. That gift is still here today. That ministry is still here today. And we'll continue talking about this tomorrow. Have a great day. Tune in tomorrow. I'll see you then. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. Visit bobyandian.com. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.